1: Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com guest. This evening I'll talk about the last of the two steps in liberative, dependent, arising. And so it's been a journey to go through these different steps. And it's helpful to consider these last two steps in the context of the first 10. The last step is, uh, the second to last step is liberation. And you think it's enough just to get liberated. Why does it need to be one more step? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the last step is knowledge of what has come to an end with liberation. The traditional language is knowledge of what's been destroyed. It's kind of powerful language knowledge of what is no longer there. And, um, you know, liberation is kind of the traditional goal in Buddhism, in the early teaching. And you can always ask liberation from what, not keep it in the abstract. And one of the first explanations is liberation from suffering, the end of suffering. And then to fill it in a little bit, the tradition talks about liberation from the forces that are connected with suffering. Either they bring about suffering or they are suffering. And so things like craving and hatred, delusion are listed the end of that, the destruction, the finish of that. And it's quite remarkable that we have a path and we have a human capacity to bring certain pretty normal, ordinary human capacities, human mental functionings to an end. Things that are pretty normal, they seem seemingly born with them, but we don't have to be stuck with them. And so things like greed is pretty common in the world, but somehow it's possible to bring this to an end. Hatred as well, delusion, and the analogy. The one analogy I like to use for this is uh, that of a fist. If you go around with living with a fist all the time, you never unclench your fist. Uh, after doing it some time, it might feel really painful to keep clenching it and holding it, but after a while, it goes numb or gets habituated or something, and it just gets frozen tight. But there's very little you can do with a fist. Most, if you go around waving your fist at people, they usually don't like it. Um, but, uh, but you can then unclench the fist, release the fist, liberate the fist. And then a remarkable thing happens when you open the hand to release the fist. In releasing the fist, the fist disappears. And if you like the open hand, if you like the way that the hand is so open and now free after all these years maybe of being clenched, finally it's released and free, you might want to hold on to that. (laughs) 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 By clenching your fist again. And you've lost it. So there's something about the letting go, the releasing and freeing, that doesn't quite work to pick it up again, to grasp it again. It belongs to a different category of, I don't know, way of being in the world, relating to things, than how we often relate. And that can be a hard thing to learn. It's one thing to let go of something and to really appreciate that what that letting go is like, but then to get attached to that. But then we lose the, the, the open hand. So, and what's what's significant about the open hand, one thing the things is, in his, you know, in terms of liberation, being liberated from the fist, is what is now absent. The fist is absent. It's ended. You can certainly create it again, but for the time being, it's, it's ended. And the tradition talks about the permanent ending of certain things, that they never come back. And the years that I've been a teacher, people have come and reported to me that uh, things have gone away. It's seemingly once and for all for them. The first time that someone came and told me this about themselves, as a, a woman had in on a retreat with me. She came back for a second retreat a year, year later. And she said to me, after that last retreat, I'm no longer cynical. And that was kind of remarkable. No longer cynical. I had an, a man come to me and said that um, after he'd practiced for a while, his family, especially his kids, got worried about him. Because they worried, maybe he was an older man, so they were worried he was getting senile and because he wasn't quite himself anymore. And they wanted him to go see a doctor. And uh, the issue was, he was no longer anxious. Because his, the kids had known his whole life, he had been an anxious man. And after doing the practice, he no longer was anxious. He was done with anxiety, so and the kids got anxious instead.
0: <laughs>
1: I've known people to come and told me they no, no longer complain. You would think that's a pretty minor thing. Liberation means you no longer complain. Many people wouldn't want liberation then. (laughs) People who have um, been caught up in resentments. And I've had people talk to me who have had resentments for years and years. And then through this practice, they attributed, they put their resentment down. It was done. No longer there. So this idea of putting something down or releasing it or uh, freeing yourself from it, being liberated from it, is a remarkable capacity we have. But it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, you have this tight fist. You know, one one option is to kind of pry the fingers open. (laughs) And you might be successful to pry them open. You get one finger out (laughs) and then you go for the other one. And by the time you get the other one out, the first one's back in. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's, it could be hard to kind of force it like that. But there's another way, and uh, that is you can take a warm, loving, attentive hand and come from underneath and just hold the fist and support it, accompany it. And then maybe it'll feel the support and it'll slowly begin to feel safe and begin to thaw and relax and open by itself. And that's one of the functions of mindfulness is to bring this kind of attentive, caring attention to what's there. So it can begin to thaw or begin to uh, release or soften, begin to fade away. I think uh, uh, one of the meanings of uh, dispassion is to fade away. And, um, but what it it requires is staying present, staying there. It doesn't work to kind of do the checklist approach to mindfulness like I've just note it for a moment and then go off and do something else that's interesting. Um, But you have to really kind of stay attentive, stay present, caring with your experience. And then sometimes do it for a long time before something inside begins to thaw or to relax or to open or, or fade away because it's seen or held in the light of awareness. And, um, and so because it's not easy to do this, there's a journey. And these Twelve Steps of Liberative Dependent Arising can be seen as a journey. And a journey that, one way of understanding a journey is um, is sometimes uh, as the three steps in what uh, some people call the steps of a ritual, or initiation ritual, or which some people have called the hero's journey. And that is, there's the, the leaving behind your world, entering into a special space, sacred space, a special space, a space, sometimes it's called a liminal space, liminal because it's a place where um, things are kind of in limbo, their usual concepts, ideas, structures of society are no longer there. And uh, in that kind of special, sacred, liminal space, something can happen. And then after it happens, then there's a return. And so this entering in is is the preparation. The liminal space is a place where a lot of things have been put down. Like in rites of initiation sometimes, um, they go through these steps and you go into this kind of um, the middle ground, the liminal space, and you might, uh, for the time being, your name might be taken away, your usual clothes you wear are taken away, your social status is taken away, or your, um, your role in life is taken away. and So many things are kind of temporarily taken away and um, or just not relevant there and in that uh, kind of uh, dropping of identity dropping of familiarity dropping of things that we usually have to m- buoy us up um, there's a kind of uh, open space open space in the mind and the heart for something to happen something to shift something to uh, be acquired like or is it like a new name perhaps or to make a vow or a commitment in a rite of initiation, or to step into a new role, a new position, a new way of being, or to uh, leave something behind, and then come back in the world with uh, without what you put put down, and with what you've picked up that's new. So these uh, so it's a journey, and so being here is a journey this way, and these twelve steps of deliberate dependent arising. So the the entering in process, this the preparation of coming in, maybe it's a little arbitrary, which factors we describe as being that. But certainly the first two, that uh, a willingness to face suffering, willingness to look at the suffering and be with it. And that's an heroic thing to do, to, that willingness to be with suffering with the open warm hands and just stare with it, and to discover a new relationship to suffering a new way of being with it that uh, many people never learn over a lifetime, a way of, to, to find wisdom, to find freedom, to find maturity, sanity in relationship to suffering, find a path in relationship to it. And then having that path, having that possibility of freedom, a wise relationship to it, then there can be confidence in that path faith, trust, and so we step in with faith into the ritual, into the initiation, into some new possibility. And the idea that we're going for an initiation, for me, is a powerful idea because um, it uh, it involves a willingness to enter into something new, something unknown, something that's you're a willingness to kind of maybe be different in the process. If you're not willing to be changed, by this process of practice, then, you know, it's much harder to be changed by it. So the stepping in with willingness, with trust, with faith. And then um, whether the next steps are part of the entering the initiation or part of the liminal space, it's maybe a little arbitrary, maybe depends, but there's the delight and there's the 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 gladness and there's the joy of practicing and engaging there's the, uh, you know, it's a cultivating a sense of well being. Then there's tranquility. There's happiness. And this happiness that comes with a path is that they also come with a lot of confidence. So the confidence grows and develops. And then with that happiness and confidence, there's a capacity of being really present, stable, concentrated, uh, you know, here for the experience, the samadhi factor. And that's kind of set the stage and kind of entered into a new space where the normal discursive mind is not so busy and we've been willing maybe to put uh, put aside to some degree uh, thoughts and concerns of other times and other places. Um, to some degree we have to put aside some of our new, usual sense of self, self-identification ideas, because as long as those are operating you can't really get settled and focused in meditation. You can't The samadhi factors can't happen when the mind is busy in its thoughts and concerns. So there's a kind of shedding or fading away, settling away, to enter into kind of a new space. And um, a new space that very much has to do with being here. So it's kind of like not really new. What's new is how we see it, how we are with it. Remember, this is a journey to arrive where you already are, but to see where you are in a deeper, clearer way It's a rite of initiation where the present moment is a sacred spot. We're going in for the initiation, for the change. So right here, fully here, and then here in a settled way with all these strong factors, stability, the confidence, the uh, well-being in place, then we have a, uh, a capacity to have insight. And this is to see deeply into our experience to understand what's going on. The impermanence, the not self, the the um, <laughs> what's the third characteristic? It's n- it's n- it's unsatisfactory this, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, and then uh, comes the process of disenchantment and dispassion or fading away. This fading away fading away, fading away. And, um, and this idea of, uh, this fading away, this whole, the whole process involves both the development of certain strengths that hold us and a settling away and fading away of, of certain things that keep us caught in our experience. And so that movement of becoming less and less caught becomes stronger and stronger until finally, Uh, caughtness itself fades away, falls away, drops away, clinging drops away. And when it's done in a thorough way and really let go, uh, it can happen so strongly around some things that it's dropped away once and for all. Or if it's not dropped away once and for all, what's dropped away is our belief in that clinging. We might still cling, but we no longer believe in the value of it. The habit is still there but we no longer stand behind it. We're no longer a cheerleader for our clinging. Say, you know, I I don't really, I'm not really into this anymore. And that's a huge shift to have that kind of, just that change. So, um, if a person is running a lot, running and running and running, they might get tired eventually. And then they might find that if they stop and walk, it's so much more restful. But if they walk for a while, they'll get tired. So then they find if they stand, it's more restful. So they stand. But if they stand for a while, then even standing is tired. So they sit down. But if they sit down for a long time, you know, eventually sitting is tiring, ready for sleep. So then lying down is more restful. And there is a kind of natural process to move towards certain kind of rest. So the same thing goes on in the mind. When we really kind of have a heightened attention to what's going on in the mind, we start recognizing that certain activities we're doing is tiring, is stressful, is agitating. And then we can maybe start moving towards the next step of a little more rest. So for example, if um, you've been hearing this bell for the last few weeks, you know, it's could be a nice bell, nice sound. And so you might start thinking or maybe not you, but some mythical person might 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 start thinking that, um, that's a nice bell. I want that bell. If I had this bell at home, my meditations would be really good. And I really need to have that bell. And I think I'm going to compose a letter to Spirit Rock and explain to them how much I need it and <laughs> make an offer they can't refuse. And I wonder how I should word that letter. And, and we start crafting this letter. It's many pages long after a while and the importance of the bell. And after, you know, maybe three weeks in on a one month retreat of writing a letter, it finally, you're like, oh, this is getting old.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, and the mind gets tired of it. Wow. So you say, okay, enough. And um, so you stop writing a letter, but you're still thinking about, so you go to the next step, more restful, which is just stop writing the letter, but still think bell. Oh, so nice to bell. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have the bell? So just simple desire for the bell is so much more restful than writing a letter. So it takes a few weeks to just have the desire for the bell until you realize that's tiring the mind out. And so then you let go of the desire. And then um, when they ring the bell, there's still this, (laughs) ah. And that's pretty good for a while, but after a while, you know, you're kind of settled and quiet and actually it's a disturbance to go, ah. So you let go of the ah, bell. And then your mind gets quieter and goes to a quieter place. And then you notice that um, they ring the bell and you just have the the thought in your mind, bell. There's no ah, just bell. Oh, the bell. And then after a while you notice, even that thought that's a bell is a kind of agitation for the mind. It's extra, it's not needed. It's actually better without it. It's quieter without it. It's like this, you're in a peaceful place and it's kind of like the, the, the surface of the water was still and there was suddenly a little wave in the water, wave in the mind. So even though even they call it a bell, which is an innocent thing to do, you see it's a little bit too much. And so so next time the bell rings, you don't think bell, it's just sound, you know, just boom. And, um, but it's you, here, you're the recipient of the sound, you're the hearer of the sound. And you say, oh, even this notion of me, me being the one who hears the sound, you know, I don't know if I need to do that all the time. I've been living that way all the time, but it seems like there's something better right now, more restful. So, okay, let, let's go. Let's, so but what fades away is the idea of being the hearer of the sound. Just the sound and no hearer. And in the, in the heard, just the heard. And each of those steps along the way, not only is, goes to more rest, but each of them becomes goes to more openness, more joy, more ease, more peace. And it's progressively, it progressively gets better and better these steps, until finally, there's, there's no one hearing, it's just sound, but then the very capacity, the very st- listening itself, even without a listener, falls away, and it's even better just like so nice. It's like freedom, it's like ease, it's peace. And this movement to greater and greater peace, sublime, <clears throat> clarity, profound openness, emptiness, is going from less satisfying states to more and more satisfying states to be in. <clears throat> it's This movement, But the movement often is one of fading away. There's not like a button you can push. Some people are waiting for the magic moment where everything fades, you know, just drops or something drops. But sometimes it's like my thinking. I used to think that I, you know, I just had to kind of let go of my thoughts and be done with them. But um, what I see in my own mind is that in the course of meditation or course of a retreat, that my thoughts begin being sometimes the most substantial thing in the world. You know, it's more, nothing's more solid in my thoughts. Just like they're they're in there, locked in, good and tight, and, and like nothing seems more important than to be thinking about these things. <laughs> and then, um, and it's and then slowly I begin to relax and soften, and some of the concerns begin to recede into the past, and the thinking gets quieter and softer, and it feels really good to have the, the get softer and quieter. And then they get thinner. The notion of th- th- thoughts get thinner or wispier, and so sometimes they become like just they're not substantial anymore. But they become insubstantial. Thoughts are maybe the most insubstantial thing. There's no; they have no weight, as far as I know. And uh, and so then they, uh, they get thinner and kind of like more like kind of almost transparent and wispy. And the classic analogies is. Just Clouds drifting across an endless sky. They're just there, they come through, and then after a while, the identification with the thoughts recedes, and you're no longer living in the thoughts. We're no longer interested in the thoughts. They come, but there's almost no nothing in it. No, very soft, very light, and they don't come as often, and they become thinner and thinner, quieter and quieter. And it just feels so good. This movement towards the thinning of thoughts, the quieting of thoughts. Though every once in a while we get afraid, because who are you if you're not thinking? So then we start thinking again, because that's where home is. But it takes a while to trust that it's actually a deeper home, by letting the thought just recede, not, not living in the thoughts, not taking up residence in thoughts, not being caught up in the world of what thoughts are thinking. But just, you know, that's the, the, our home is not in thoughts, but in awareness. And the thoughts get thinner and thinner. There's so almost nothing left. Just a single strand. And it feels so good. And then the strand breaks. Then who are you when you have no thoughts to tell you? When you don't use thoughts to explain to yourself who you are, then who are you? Or what is this? What's here? So, whereas the insight that we have and the process of disenchantment and dispassion, or the fading of, you know, involves kind of a shifting relationship to the experience, the fading away, the dispassion, uh, is allowing the, the fingers to begin to thaw and relax. It's allowing the momentum, the power, the way we reinforce, the way we feed our clinging, our preoccupations, To begin to fade away, no longer being fueled. The Buddha talked about um, the the fuel for the fire being used up or fading away or not being refueled. So the the fever of our life, the the agitation we were caught up in, uh, cools down uh, as the fuel is no longer there. And so at some point um, uh, there's this total fading away. And so the total uh, releasing of clinging in the tradition is called liberation or sometimes Nibbana. And Nibbana, this word Nirvana, is, this, is the rele- full releasing, the full fading away, the full dissolving of something that we have been attached to, maybe for a long time. and um, And it's kind of a profound absence And so, um, it's like a very meaningful absence because, um, the analogy would be that if someone spent, you know, 30 or 40 years in prison, that's a big deal, locked up. And then at some point they're released. And after that, the day they're released or in next days, maybe for the rest of their life, um, it's, it's the fact that they're no longer in prison, the absence of prison is huge for them. But if you met the person on the street, you wouldn't be able to see the absence of prison in them. They might look like an ordinary person on the street and that absence has no meaning for you unless they tell you their story because it's not, it doesn't really exist. It's not an existent thing but it's may be the most significant thing that happened in the person's life. And after, so the fact that they were released and free. So the same thing with um, the freedom from the prisons of our minds, the preoccupations that we were caught and attached, the prisons of self, the self-identity that we hold up, the conceits we have, that to put these down, to have these disappear, um, can be one of the most profound absences a person can experience. It's an absence which is almost a thing, but not quite. Just, wow, it's gone. And to have a sense of that absence and the sublime quality of what it's like without this burdens, without these constrictions that come with being attached or clinging, is sublime, is one of the kind of best things going. So there is um, a species of humans that are born in the ocean and they're born swimming and they just swim and swim everywhere that's what they do they just swim but then they after' swimming for many many de- 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 uh, years and decades some of them get tired of swimming so there's one person who's kind of adventurous and thinks there must be another way I heard rumors that far out to the east, There is a um, a place where you can rest, maybe land or something. So the person swims and swims and swims and swims, swims for so long as it tiring more and more tired, doesn't find the rest place. So then someone says, "Oh, but no, it's to the south." And the person swims and swims and swims to the south, but far to the south, southern ocean. Someone says, "No, no, it's to the north." person swims and swims and swims. Far north, someone says, I don't know where that rest place is, but I think it's in the west. Person swims and swims and swims and swims. Goes to the west. And there in the west, there's, comes across an old, old part of this aquatic species, <laughs> humans. <laughs> and, and uh, the, oh, you're looking for the place of rest. You know, all you have to do is flip over on your back and float. All you have to do is flip over and float right here. So right here, flip over and trust. Right here, relax deeply. It's here. It doesn't require solving your problems. It doesn't require creating a better past, it doesn't require planning a future, it doesn't require having some wonderful spiritual experience, but it does uh, take a profound trust that allows us to let go of all the things we're struggling with, fighting and resisting, afraid of, open up, clear, to let go. As the process of fading away goes deeper and deeper, then uh, some of the movements that fade away is, you know, because there's, you know, we go to more and more restful or peaceful states of mind, stiller places, is uh, intentionality. Any desire, all desires, fall away. Not because desire is wrong or bad necessarily, because desire is still a kind of waves on the pond, and their lake. Desire is also still kind of being caught up and involved in something. And so as we get quieter and quieter, it becomes more important not to be kind of let go of desires. As we get quieter and quieter, this fading away process continues. Um, it makes sense to fit, let uh, any notion of self fade away, any reference point of me, myself, and mine. Not because self and me, myself, and mine are wrong to have, but that it's really clear as the mind gets stiller and quieter, that it's just more waves on the on the lake, on the still water. And so it just makes sense to kind of let it fade away, at least temporarily. And... Um, And then um, the idea of looking for something satisfying, looking for something that's going to be the right solution, this looking for it, searching, Um, and also as such agitation settles away, is it okay to continue without looking for something? And then also even the idea of making any kind of attribution to anything, any kind of making an association, or a judgment, or a or a name on things, defining things, it just also seems like just too much. And it fades away. You know, as the mind gets quieter and quieter, you know, even giving something a name, or even saying it's over there, and I'm here, seems like it's no, no longer needed. It's like it stands in the way of the peace and the quiet. Of the, of the lake becoming completely placid and peaceful. But it's hard to go that peaceful because we have a strong tendency to keep steering up the pond, the waves, making more waves, or adding fuel to the fire. Or the analogy I like to use is that, of a, I saw this when I went, took my kids, and they're young, I took them to the museum, like the Discovery Museum, and they had this big, big, like kind of bowl like dish. Maybe it was like, I don't know how big it was, but pretty big. And um, I guess it was a fundraiser for the museum. And you would drop your quarter off the top rim, and the quarter would, you know, go round and around and round and up and down. And um and it, it would slowly the momentum go out and it would go closer and closer to the bottom of the bowl. Close and close to the bottom of the bowl, and finally, uh, there was a hole at the center of the bowl. And if the if the coin was not going across too quickly across that hole, and so finally the finally momentum slowed down, it would come to the hole in the middle and it disappeared. It kind of dropped. So. Um, you know, we have these loose balls, marbles in our head that are s- <laughs> s-
0: s- s-
1: spin, spinning around. And we're constantly, you know, sp- not, not just allowing them to, to kind of the momentum to run out, but we're in there pushing them along, you know. And as long as we push them along, the momentum will go too fast to settle down at the bottom of the bowl. And so a big part of the art of this practice is learning how to leave things alone, let it be. Stop spinning things, spinning stories, stop spinning desires, stop spinning aversions, stop spinning fear, stop stop spinning notions of self, me, myself and mine. It's not easy to do, but you know, this is what the mindfulness is moving us towards. And so then the momentum of these marbles begins to quiet down. And they start coming towards closer and closer to rest at the middle, the base. And sometimes when everything gets quiet and still enough, then it's kind of like the mind. For some people, they experience it as the mind just falls away. It's an amazing thing. Or another analogy that the tradition gives, uh, I've done a kind of um, uh, re reworked this uh, analogy. If you find a bird that's maybe been stunned, maybe there's a, you know, a hawk has come along and tried to catch it, but it's kind of knocked it down, and landed on the ground, but it's not really injured, but it's really stunned. But it's too stunned maybe to fly. But the hawk is circling overhead. So you're walking the path and you see if you keep walking, it's not going to be not so... so Nice for the bird, the hawk is looking at it, waiting for a chance. So you go and you pick up the little bird in your hand to make it safe from the hawk and give it time to recover from being stunned. And you hold it just gently, not too hard, not too tight, because that'll hurt it and frighten it, but not too soft so that it falls out. Or you hold it gently there in your hand until it's become safe, until it's recovered, until it's become stronger and clearer. And then when you feel like it's recovered well enough, then you open your hand wide and it just sits on your palm of your hand and you, you give it its freedom so you can go when you're ready. And so for a while the bird just sits on your hand and then, you know, you're waiting and it has its freedom, but you're holding it, supporting it, protecting it, being with it, and you don't know how long it's going to take for it to feel ready. And at some point the bird takes off in flight, and you're happy. Oh, well, it looks like it's going to take off. It looks like it's okay. But now it comes back and lands on your hand again. Okay. I'll stay there with you. I'm here. And it does that for a couple of more times. It always comes back. And then at some point, the bird takes off. And you're not quite expecting it to anymore, what, what it's going to do. But it takes off, and then... Shoo, flies off and disappears into the sky. It's free. It's gone. So we do that for our mind, our hearts. We protect it, we care for it, we hold it tenderly when it needs that. And then when it no longer needs to be held lovingly and carefully, we open the hands. We open ourselves. We sit still and quiet to see what the heart will do, to allow it to settle, to allow it. And then the heart might sometimes begin to let go, release itself, but it comes back to release itself and come back. And then at some point the mind lets go of itself and it goes wherever minds go that's equivalent of, of free up into this flying in the sky. The heart lets go of itself. And it just like everything along all the way to that point just felt so right, so sublime, like the best. It's felt clear that, that the mind letting go of itself, the heart letting go of itself has to be even better. And in fact, when you're aware of what's happened, then it's pretty good. There's an absence. There's an experience of a profound absence, a thorough absence that becomes a reference point for how to live in the world without being caught in things, without being attached to anything, whatever, whatsoever. It's like now there's a reference point of another, whole other game in town. If the only game we know is clinging, holding on, the only game we know is having a self and oriented around self, then of course we're going to do the best we can to play that game, to get safe that way. But to discover the safety of complete letting go and to really know that that's the safest place to be, to know that letting go is profoundly beneficial, the value of it, to know there's also that kind of possibility for us. That place that not that de- doesn't depend on the things of the world, doesn't depend on getting what we want, doesn't depend on having a self. Allows for the heart when to relax, to be at ease, allows for a deeper ease in this world. It allows us to step into the moment, into the next moment, more as a, a wonderful or the next moment is more of a blank canvas in which something new can happen than going into the next moment carrying all the past with us. It allows us to step into the new moment with our hands open, our heart open, ready to uh, meet that moment in the creative way that we can't do if we meet it next moment with a fist. So this is uh, release Liberation, freedom. So, the last step in liberated defender rising is the knowledge of what you've been liberated from, what you've been, de- what's been destroyed. It's a like traditional language, powerful language, and um, it re- and you know it's you go through this journey, you go into this rite of initiation, of passage, going through this, like a retreat like this, and all of you, I'm, I'm, I haven't met all of you, but I'm pretty confident that in order to be here for a month or two months, you had to let go of a good number of things, and maybe you are so busy clinging, you didn't notice all the things you had to let go of, <laughs> but there's a lot of letting go to be here. And some of the letting go was enforced by the rules of the retreat center. But some of them had to do with your wisdom and your understanding. Some of it had to do with the fading away. Just you weren't concerned about things. You weren't on, you know, on the news for all this time. And so you weren't thinking about certain things because of you weren't getting that feedback, that information. And so you kind of the mind let go of it or it faded away. It's helpful to recognize what you've, what's faded away, what's been let go of, even missed temporarily, because in the rec- in the knowing what's happened, it kind of reinforces the value of it. It kind of lets it sink in. It also becomes kind of a, I, I call it a nourishment. I don't know if it's nourishing for everyone, but it's kind of a, 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 a recognition of some real profound goodness, profound safety, profound a healthy, sane place to be possibility. And to recognize, oh, now I've put this down temporarily. Then you're more likely to have a different relationship to it when you pick it up again. If nothing else, you know it's not necessary to have it. Some people think it's, for some people it's inconceivable to be without their attachments, their clingings, because they've always had them and it's just, they're, they're solid, they're there. But to know that they're gone, to know at least temporarily, can be life-changing for people. But you have to kind of take it in and recognize, oh, I've let go of that. That's possible. And it's worthwhile. It might take me a long time, but now I know it's like a North Star that I head towards. I know that that's the direction. That's possible. That's the work to be done. That's where freedom is found. Freedom is found in the freedom from attachment, freedom from craving, freedom from being caught up in self. Freedom in Buddhism is a freedom from. It's not so much emphasized a freedom to. The freedom to shop, the freedom freedom to, you know, you know, state your opinion. All kinds of things that in Latin America people like to have freedom to do it's a good thing, but the the freedom of Buddhism is really freedom from. So it's helpful to recognize and see what we've been free of. In the tradition, when they talk about this last step, they talk about three things that have been uh, dropped away or come to an end. One is craving for sensual comfort and pleasure. There's nothing wrong with sensual comfort and pleasure in and of itself but it's a dropping away of the craving for it. And it turns out, if you really look carefully and are honest, the the movement towards sensual pleasure and comfort is epidemic in human life. It's like it's there much more often than we realize. But the craving for it falls away. The craving to become something, the craving to have an identity there's nothing wrong with an identity, but the craving for it limits us. And that you know, that's possible to drop that away. And then the craving to our views, craving for stories, uh, craving for opinions, craving for some kind of understanding that kind of ties it all up in a nice package in their life. The craving for, the, you know... Those three, th- those three things are sometimes defined as the things that are dropped away. Other times they talk about greed, hate, and delusion. Other times they talk about the ending of the conceit of "I am." Maybe all these things are the same thing, from looked from a different vantage point. To do this thoroughly and fully is uh, one of the great journeys of a lifetime. It's one of the, I think, one of the most noble and valuable things a person can do because it's, it's discovering what it's like to become really free of suffering. We practice compassion, wanting others to be free of suffering. But if we don't even know what that is like to be free of suffering, how can we really wish it to others? But to really, to have discovered for ourselves this total freedom from suffering is really dropping away. It makes, means we have a, such an important reference point, such an important capacity to appreciate what's possible in human life. We have such an important model then for the degree to which it's possible to become happy and free. That it's not a matter, we're not going to be happy by having more computers. We're not going to be happy by having more recreational opportunities or whatever it is people want. That's not a safe or secure happiness. It's okay in itself. But, um, but to discover that the fullness, the thorough, the complete capacity of freedom and the happiness of it, the letting go, is, um, I think, is a, a worthwhile task for a lifetime. And just being on that path, being on that journey is a wonderful thing. And the longer you go on that path, the less it really matters whether you get to the end. It's just so wonderful to be present for this moment as it is. Meeting this moment with as much freedom and clarity as you can. Holding this moment as a tender bird with whatever way the bird needs to be held to be safe. Being this moment and letting things to thaw, relax. And in the end, you might discover that it's not so important that your core problems are solved, but that your core problems dissolve. And to allow them to dissolve, to step back, hold them kindly, be present, stay present, be here. Let your mindfulness be more continuous so There's a chance for this settling, this thawing, this dissolving, this relaxing. Be here with your experience. And just be with it without fueling it anymore, without pushing the marbles anymore. Letting things just be, be, be. So things can begin dropping away. And how much, how fully Are you willing to let things drop away? And how thoroughly can you intuit the freedom and the peace that's on the other side of clinging, the other side of holding on, making and building and protecting and defending just here. And the heart, the blessed heart, sets itself free, the heart frees itself, the heart lets go of itself, liberated and free.